welcome to Uplifting Impact. It's so lovely to be here today with Laura Kriska. Laura is an internationally recognized expert. Isn't that so cool that we get to have so many internationally recognized people on our show? She is a leading consultant on cross-cultural relationships and has been doing this work for over 30 years. Her experience really is about providing knowledge and experience and also information on how to bridge gaps in diverse workplaces. She has worked with Fortune 500 companies on all four continents. I I shouldn't say all four as if there was only four, but on four continents, which is very impressive, Laura. She's helped thousands of business leaders and professionals build trust across differences based on nationality, ethnicity, race, religion, age, or any other factor of identity. And today she is here with us on the Uplifting Impact podcast. Hi, Laura. Hi, Deanna. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be able to get into this conversation with you. We got to talk about this a little bit, but I would love for the audience to hear. You just wrote a book. Can you tell us what the name of the book is and and how how you came to even write this book? Yes. Um, The book is called The Business of We, and it is about bridging any us versus them gap. So my job, my life's work is helping people build lasting trust across any us versus them dynamic. And us versus them dynamics could be things like departmental mandates. I don't know about you, but every organization I've ever visited has departmental us versus them dynamics. Are you familiar? Have you seen this kind of thing? Absolutely. You see it in the way that people message things. You see it in the way they respond to things. You see it in the way they make decisions. Yeah. Who they include and who they don't, you know, include. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sales versus marketing, um, engineering versus manufacturing, front office versus back office. It's everywhere. And so that's one type. And that is usually what I say when I start working with people because it always resonates. But there is a many, many, there are many, many more us versus them dynamics as it relates to our identities. And there are so many parts of a person's identity. The the number of us versus them dynamics that exist in the workplace and beyond is really limitless. Yeah. And I think that one of the things, you know, when we're talking to our clients that we try and focus on is helping them even recognize what Mm -hmm. these, what these are, right? Because a lot of times you don't walk into places and they're not written on the wall, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of times they're unspoken. Yes. And they're, but they're revealed, especially to outsiders like us. When we go into an organization, one of the things you can easily do is go to the lunchroom cafeteria, of course, pre-COVID and and (laughs) just observe, you know, who's sitting where, who's eating lunch with whom, or, you know, when you have events that are more voluntary, you know, who sits next to, you know, who, and, and those are real indicators of those unspoken, invisible connections that people have. So why did you write the book? Like what, what do people, when they, they pick up the book, what is it they're going to get out of it? I think every organization deals with these dynamics. And I think there's a false notion that these dynamics are just inevitable and cannot be changed. And I'm here to tell you that they can be changed and they should be changed. I've noticed a kind of damage that occurs. I categorize it in three categories, inconsequential damage, consequential damage, 
and game-changing damage. Game-changing is lawsuits, physical harm, huge business losses. So unfortunately, that's usually when companies pay attention. We can think of the episode in Starbucks, 2018 in April, when the two Black customers were taken away by police because they hadn't ordered anything. It was ridiculous. And and they paid attention to it. Starbucks had a huge response because there had been an outrage based on their, you know, what happened that day. And you see organizations, and we saw this last spring after the Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd, organizations doing and saying things that they should have been doing and saying without a crisis. But it's when game-changing things occur that companies sometimes pay attention. But there are consequential examples of damage and then inconsequential examples. So the us versus them dynamics that exist in the world, they are inevitable, they are predictable. And sometimes, Deanna, they really don't matter. People can shrug it off. It's not something we need to really examine something like a sports difference or a little bit of competition internally in the company. Um, But there's a lot of behavior, a lot of outcomes that fall into the consequential category where people feel marginalized, where you have people who feel like they don't belong, where their whole selves are not welcome or even safe. And that's why I wrote this book, because there's far too much of those negative outcomes occurring on a a frequent basis. And I want to change that. And I believe there is opportunity for change because I've seen it happen with the clients I've worked with. So tell me, give give us a little nugget. You know, Mm -hmm. when a client comes to you and says, we're really experiencing that, we do see it within our organization. It is consequential and we want to make a change. What are some of the things that you that you tell them to do, or where are some of the places that you you advise them? Where are the I like mm-hmm. to say, where are the places you poke them? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the most important place to poke them is at the home team identity. Home team is what I call the people at the top of the organization, the people with the power, the decision making, the big titles around the boardroom, and in each organization, the identity of the home team is different. So my first job was working in Honda Motor Company in Japan. I was 22. And at that time, the home team could be characterized as uh, Japanese, male, and middle-aged. I was and continue not to be any of those things. So I was very far away from that home team. In corporate America, the home team in most organizations could be fairly characterized as white, middle-aged, and male. So I'm a white, middle-aged person. So I'm much closer to that home team. There are home teams everywhere. And it's, it's not bad to be on a home team unless you're not aware. You've got to be aware. And I use that phrase home team because what does a home team have, Deanna? An advantage. Yes, they do. (laughs) We hear that phrase all the time, don't we? Yeah. Home home court advantage. I I don't even know that much about sports and I know that phrase. Exactly. And so this is a way I I talk to my clients because it's, it's very relatable. Everybody understands. And I, so when you ask the question, where do you poke? It's starting with the home team and making sure number one, that they're aware 
that they are on a home team and that anybody in the organization who shares those characteristics is by default associated with the home team, even if they don't have that high position or that power and money, you know, they still have some association with it. And then the next thing I do is ask those home team people to reflect on themselves. This is crucial. In my book, in the in the um, the business of we, I have three steps, and and one is just what I talked about: fostering awareness of being on a home team. And step two is examining yourself through ten questions that I offer. I call it the uh, us versus them self assessment. It's 10 simple yes or no questions. And also I'll mention, this is a free resource. It's on my website. Anybody is welcome. I I hope this will become a frequently downloaded and used tool. And it's not the only way to assess yourself, but it's a way. It gives you an immediate number, zero to 10, that measures how much firsthand interaction and integration you have had with a them cultural group. And you get to pick, you know, you pick who your them cultural group is. Back to your question, it's that I I ask the home team to reflect because I believe that home team leaders, if you have a very homogeneous group making decisions, they, they won't be able to make the best decisions if they're not reflecting the broad experience of the competitive and diverse and integrated global marketplace. Yes, I'm going to make sure that we put into the show links, the website and the link to your downloadable uh, assessment because that self-awareness, right? That knowledge of where I sit and how others even see me and how I might see others is such an important step before you can do any of the work that we talk about when we get to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So framing it too, I think in Mm -hmm. the we versus them, sometimes, you know, we, we hear diversity, equity, and inclusion, we have all kinds of preconceived notions of, of what that can look like. But a lot of times I try to help people understand that the work that we talk about in diversity, equity, inclusion is so transferable. It is so transferable across departments, across identities, across just even understandings and ways of of thinking about things across leadership styles, right? Mm -hmm. What we're talking about here, and I say this often, is like, how do we human better? How do we human better? How do we human better with ourselves? How do we human better with, with others and in the relationships that we are trying to build? So super excited for you, super excited about the book. I guess another question that I just have for you is, is once an organization recognizes this and goes through the steps that you've outlined for them and understands like, you know, what the the challenge is. And, and they've also, you know, taken some steps to try and alleviate the challenge. What's the benefit? Mm-hmm. What do you see on the, on the other, what are they driving mm-hmm. towards? Mm-hmm. The biggest and most immediate benefit is increased trust in the workplace. And we all know in any organization, if you have trust, then people can be vulnerable. They can bring, they can solve problems. I mean, outcomes improve across the board, fewer complaints, possibly fewer legal issues. So, I mean, I like to help my clients imagine, you know, instead of Uh, this bickering back and forth instead of holding on to legacy identities, you know, when they have a merger and acquisition, for example, instead of, you know, he said, she said, or uh, those guys or this, you know, that, that kind of dynamic, imagine 
if you could have all of the energies, skills, creativity, innovation, focused toward corporate goals, like increasing revenue, helping clients, making new products, being a sustainable organization, you know, environmentally sustainable. I mean, equity, inclusion, of course, social justice. I mean, I I love to imagine what those organizations could look like because we have it within us. And and this is one of the things I think we building is something we can do using the resources we already have. Because I think to be a we builder, this is a phrase I like to use, to be a we builder, a person needs two things. And these two things are free and they are available to every human. And those are, One, an interest and willingness to reflect honestly on yourself, to say to yourself, oh, I'm in a diverse company, but I've never once had lunch with somebody different from myself, or I've never mentored someone different from myself or hired, you know, all of those things. Being able to be honest. And then two, really wanting to close gaps that exist. And and so many people actually want that. I think they're a little hesitant to say, or they they really worry about doing and saying the the wrong thing, so they don't do anything at all. But that that kind of silent approach, that colorblind, culture silent approach, outdated, ineffective, inappropriate, it's it's over. And so I I consider we building a kind of uh, new way to approach the the realities of our integrated, diverse, connected global marketplace. You know, the two things that you just mentioned is another word that I think we hear a lot when we have these kinds of conversations, but they tied back to me to this idea of intention, Mm. right? Do do you have the intention to be able to reflect honestly? And do you have the intention to want to to close gaps? Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, honestly, the world is full of people who have really great intentions. And so getting past that fear, getting past that, maybe not being able to even see it, right? Not even be able to understand that the challenge, once we get past that, wow, there's so much power there. So much power that's sitting there that, that can really be unleashed. So another kind of quick question for you, but you've done this work, you're helping people get through this path, you know, this, through this path and, and helping them get onto the other side of it and get the benefit of being able to increase trust within their organizations. How did you learn how to do this, Laura? I learned through making mistakes. So my first job was working for Honda Motor Company in Tokyo. I was 22. I, I had been born in Japan, so I, I Nihongo chotto wakarimasu no de, Nihongo demo ego demo dekimasu. So I, I speak some Japanese, and I worked in a huge Japanese company with thousands of Japanese colleagues, and I thought I knew what I was doing, but I had a lot of cultural. I made a lot of cultural mistakes, and I started to understand that there's visible information and invisible information about other people. And, you know, as we know, you can't look at somebody and know everything about them or even the, you know, some important things. And I started, um, based on my own mistakes, I I actually wrote a book. This was a long time ago called The Accidental Office Lady. (laughs) And and that was about my, my own experience working in a huge Japanese company. And then I started doing cross cultural work. I tried to help other people avoid the mistakes I made. And so mostly I was working between Japanese and American professionals. And I developed a 
frameworks and tools. And I, I started to see how it could be useful. And in the companies, in the Japanese, I'm talking about enormous multinational Japanese companies. And at the top of every one of these organizations was a very homogeneous group of people. And these were hardworking, intelligent, really well-meaning people, yet they failed to integrate into these various cultures where they were working. It might be Sao Paulo, Brazil, or London, England, or, you know, right here, you know, Houston in Texas. And I, I saw a parallel with corporate America and the way that we have a very homogeneous population of people, again, maybe really hardworking, well-intentioned people, but it's it's not possible to be as successful if you have this small homogeneous group of people making all the decisions. You don't have the lived experience. And so you, you can try to understand and you should try to understand, but you can't possibly know what the right choices are going to be if you just have that small group of homogeneous people. And so I, I saw an application of the tools that I had developed for this very specific us versus them, Japan versus America. And I started applying it to many other us versus them groups. And it just resonates because everybody has been a them. Even middle-aged white men have, you know, America's favorite punching bag right now. Even people like that have been a them. And so if I start with that, everybody buys in and they understand it in a way that sometimes it's harder for them to grasp otherwise. So I really appreciate you sharing that that context and kind of how you built on things. You know, this idea that we can use the mistakes that we've made and really uh, elevate those to a place where we can help other people. Like I think those are the best mistakes, the ones that not only you can learn from, but the ones that other people can learn from too. So Laura, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, for all the work that you're doing, for the way that you are bringing your voice to these kinds of conversations. We're just so grateful to have you as as one of the many amazing resources that we can reach out to as we think about how to do this work. Thank you so much, Deanna. Absolutely. So Laura, if people want to get the book and mm-hmm. they want to follow you and, and learn more about some of the, the tools that you have, what's the best way to do that? Well, I am a big fan of LinkedIn and that's a good place to find me. I also have a website, which is my name and it's Laura Kriska with two Ks. Um, That's a good place to get the um, us versus them self-assessment to uh, find other resources, but probably LinkedIn is the most immediate way. And I welcome connections. Wonderful. So we'll make sure that all of that is in the show notes. So again, thank you, Laura. Thank you to everybody who joined us today for another one of our podcasts. We are so grateful to have you here with us and hope that you will join us again and also share because we here at Uplifting Impact truly believe that the more people who are having this conversation, the more people who are are thinking about these things, the more opportunities we have to build we. Thanks so much. See you soon. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.